John chapter 6. You know, I was very pleased to hear that the kids are going to laity pumpkin patch, but I'm feeling a little left out. There's no clergy pumpkin patch that I'm aware of in town, so maybe we can start a, start a petition about that. It is, it is fall. Welcome to uh, fall, October. Um, I'll tell you how I knew there was signs of, of uh, October and this season leading up to Thanksgiving. Um, we were in the thrifties in um, Parksville last weekend, and I saw pumpkin spice yogurt. And I just, I, I just said to the gal who was stocking shelves, I said, this just it doesn't look right, and I got blueberry. Um, and then uh, I will say just one comment uh, further um, for next week, because it's Thanksgiving, all of a sudden, you just get the kids settled in school, and boom, there's Thanksgiving. So um, let us know what time we should be there uh, for the pie. Uh, but uh, in addition, next week, we're going to have a table right here, and it's often traditional, you know, to have a beautiful display of leaves and, and uh, produce and so forth. But what I'm asking of you, and we're going to have to all participate for this to work, but could you bring something that represents your thanks? It could be a picture of your family. could be something to do with, um, with a hobby. So, for example, if David brings his unicycle, you're going to have to ride it, David, for us. Um, you, know, if you, you know, it's hunting season. If you bring firearms, please make sure the, the trigger lock is on. No, don't bring firearms, maybe. Da- um, Stephen, I think we can get your motorcycle in here. I could sit right here. That's no problem. You'll have to do a wheelie in with it. But, um, but on a serious note, something that you can put on or near the table here. And um, we've done this in the past. And one time, we had just this amazing kaleidoscope of, of uh, things that people were thankful for. Um, you know, me being the nerd that I am, sometimes I, uh, I brought the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms from Canada, and I put it put it up, but that was a long time ago before I got cool, you know. <laughs> so you bring your uh, expression of thanks, and we'll, we'll see that, you know, it's more than just food um, that we're thankful for. There's just so many ways God has blessed in our lives. Yeah, thank you for thinking ahead to, to contribute to that, and I'll put, I'll put a reminder in the Cornerstone Connector. Well, this past Thursday was uh, really a momentous day for our country. We had our inaugural uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Uh, The day before, I was very pleased to catch uh, a radio interview on the program Unreserved on CBC Radio, catch um, an interview with the Honorable Justice Murray Sinclair. You may recall he was the chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He's been a senator. And I really appreciated um, his reflections, his candid thoughts about the progress of reconciliation uh, with the indigenous community. And if you don't think it's a complex and deeply difficult uh, conversation, then I I, I wish you could have been part of our our little Saturday morning, uh, pardon me, Friday morning group where I'm helping some uh, newcomers to Canada learn English and we were talking about truth and reconciliation, um, just trying to also help them, you know, experience Canada, and, and um, it, was, it, was, it was complex. It was fascinating for me personally to hear people from different countries, and I won't identify them, but it was fascinating to hear people from my, uh, different countries where we know there are great injustices also recognize uh, that there have been injustices and continue to be injustice in our society. But what I want to highlight is just one thing that uh, Justice Sinclair mentioned as he talked about a way forward, and he commented something that was from his perspective as an Indigenous person, thinking about the spirituality that he values, but I thought, well, really, what he said is answered in the gospel. He said, every child needs to be able to answer, where do I come from? Where am I going? What's my purpose? Who am I? And I think we know those aren't separate questions so much, but they're a cluster 
or a constellation of questions that we continue to wrestle with all through our lives. Sometimes we get past a very momentous stage of our lives and we say, okay, and now what's my purpose? Now who am I? I've gone through a very difficult time. I've gone through an exciting transition. Now who am I? But I want to key in on uh, the, the question, what's my purpose? What's your purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're considering that, what would be the purpose of being his disciple or follower? And I think one word that answers that is, and not the only, but one key word is communion. Now, I'm not talking about the time when we celebrate the Lord's table, but I'm talking about the idea of a life of intimate communication and fellowship with Jesus. God has designed for us as followers of Jesus to walk in dependence on Him in all things and at all times. And so prayer, uh, hopefully that word comes to mind quickly when I say a life of dependence and communication, prayer becomes immensely important for us as believers. You know you find a good book when you get so much out of the title, you hardly need to read the book. But the book is great as well. It's called Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. And it's written by Richard Foster. And I go back to it often to reflect on what I should be doing in prayer, how I should be growing in prayer, how I need to think about prayer correctly so that I don't do it as a mere duty or mechanical exercise. He says this, the primary purpose of prayer is to bring us into such a life of communion with the Father that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are increasingly conformed to the image of the Son. Now that, I would say, takes us uh, far from, you know, the typical notion that, oh, prayer is something I got to do. It's, you know, I got to I got to take out the trash on Thursdays and I, I got to do my laundry and I got to pray and it becomes that sort of heavy, um, dutiful, mechanical activity. Well, let's, let's look at a Bible passage for today. If you're already there in your copy of the scripture, John chapter 6, I'll also have the text for you. Now, at first glance, maybe you, you look and say, feeding of the 5,000, did he, did he make a mistake in the passage? It's quite possible he's getting a little older. We all know that. But, but still, I think this story, even though at first we'd say, well, it's a miracle of Jesus. What does this say about prayer? I think it has uh, five very helpful considerations for thinking about um, what it means, means to live in a life of communion, in uh, a life of intimate communication and fellowship uh, with Jesus. I don't know when you first encountered this story. Probably for me, uh, late 60s, probably the first time I heard this story because I was, I was taken to church since I was uh, yay, yay big. And um, I always connected with this story. Uh, probably when I was a kid, I thought, a little boy, a little boy is the hero of the story. I, uh, that's a story for me. Um, so relatable, this story, so relatable, and yet so utterly remarkable what Jesus did. So relatable. Do we have enough food? Or better yet, what's for supper, right? <laughs> we can all relate to that dilemma. What's for supper? I don't know. Hand me the phone. You know, I'll, I'll do, um, what is um, uh, Boston pizza? Finger cooking, right? And um, so relatable, yet so remarkable. And you know, the other thing that's interesting about this story, and I didn't pick it for this reason, I was drawn to it for other reasons, but it so happens it's the only, you might know that already, but it's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So we've got four vantage points to look at this, but I chose for us to look at it through uh, the perspective of John uh, the disciple. The first point I want to make is called these things. These things. Let me read verses 1 to 4. 
Uh, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, or the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. So if we look in the original uh, scriptures in the Greek translation, it, it, it tells us um, it tells us this phrase after these things. And so the question, the obvious question is, what are those things? Um, John gets at it a little bit, but Matthew fills in the detail quite a bit more. In fact, in the first uh, thirteen or first eleven verses of Matthew chapter fourteen. Matthew documents the arrest and the beheading of John uh, the baptizer, Jesus' cousin. And so when we get to this story, the way Matthew tells it, when he says, after these things, what are the things? Jesus just lost his cousin. Jesus is in mourning. He's pressed in by the crowd. He's overwhelmed by their demand for miraculous signs. And yet he's in grief, and he's in mourning. And so he withdraws. He does um, what is uh, natural, but also he models for us withdrawing to seek uh, fellowship with his heavenly Father. And when Jesus heard that his uh, cousin had been killed and he sought to be far from the crowd, he uh, went to the other side of the lake of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee by boat. And yet, the people followed him. And so that's where John picks up the story. He's gone across, and the the people follow him. Uh, Tragically, uh, they fall prey to a very um, easy uh, temptation, and that is to, uh, in the words of Richard Foster, who I quoted earlier, to love the blessing more than the blesser. Were they really seeking God? John says for us that they followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he did, and they pressed in on him again. And then I think something else is interesting. It almost seems like, well, why mention it? But John does. He notes that the Jewish Passover, Passover feast was near, and so perhaps these people were on their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. In such a situation, not only was there physical hunger, um, but they were in, in this journey of seeking God in worship through Passover, and what an opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate himself as the bread of life. And so when we gather here today, and in a moment, uh, just a couple moments, we're going to take some time just for individual prayer, but I just want to ask you to think, uh, you know, if we were to describe your life this week or lately, and we said, after these things, what would you fill in for these things? A number of us were gathered with the Odney family this week. It was a shock for us to hear of um, Fern's passing, and uh, there has been sorrow in our church family, and particularly for the Odney family. Um, You know, after sorrow, what do we do? Um, how about Jesus' experience of then all of the confusion and complexity and the demands? And we might feel, after, after these things, where do we go? What do we do? How do we react? I think Jesus models for us that we'll never be able to engage with the needs of the world around us if we're not first and foremost engaging in a deep, intimate communion with our Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus models for us several times in His earthly ministry. And so I want to give us an opportunity for some individual prayer. We're going to pray three times through the course of this sermon. It would, it would just be wrong for us to talk about prayer and not pray, right? Um, and so we're going to pray. But right now is some individual prayer. Later we'll do it in small groups and then and then as a, as a whole uh, group. Um, but in this time of individual prayer, I want to commend to you these thoughts from Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope 
is from Him. He only is my rock and salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Trust in Him, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. You know, last Friday I had a real neat opportunity to paddle out across the Salish Sea. Some of you might saw, see, have seen my, my little video on, um, um, on what's it called, Facebook. And my daughter said, nice video. It was hard to see it from, because you were breathing so loud on the video. <laughs> but, but there's a video there about uh, this little island that I paddled out to. It, it was a couple kilometers out. And then there's someone on the island. They left. And I was the only one on this little island. And just beautiful, beautiful. I hope, uh, I, I wish I could go there every time I feel like I'm overwhelmed. But I, on that occasion, I had that opportunity. And this was the scripture that was in my head, in my heart. Pour out your heart. And that's what I did. I just kind of spilled my guts to God. Um, that's, the, um, that's, I think, the more uh, literal translation. Spill your guts to God. Let him, tell him you're frustrated. Tell him you're angry. Tell him you're delighted. Tell him you want more of this good thing in your life. Just let him know what you're thinking. This is the invitation in this scripture. And we're just going to have some quiet music now. Just take time. Take time to meet with God. Let him know. He already does. Let him know. Oh, after all these things, come to him. Come to him and pour out your heart to him.
So after this, after these things experienced that Jesus had and he sought uh, communion with the Father, then he reengaged with the needs of the people. Um, I'm going to call this the glorious impossible, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he, was, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, Jesus saw the crowd coming to him in both Matthew and Mark. Uh, it's identified that Jesus responded with compassion. It wasn't just, oh, brother, back to work. Enjoyed, you know, enjoyed this time of communion, but now back to work. But in fact, um, those flowed together for Jesus, right? His time of communion wasn't a separate category from his response of compassion to these people. And um, it also says in Mark's account that Jesus looked at them as he would have as shepherdless sheep. So it gives you a little bit of a picture of his compassion for them. Tension in the story mounts here, and Jesus, as a very skillful leader, doesn't say, okay, this is what we're going to do, but in fact, invites his followers, particularly Philip. I don't know why Philip was on the, the hot, I guess he wasn't on the hot seat. He'd be on hot sandals at this time. He was on the hot sandals, and Jesus said, okay, Philip, what are we going to do? What are we going to do in this situation? And Philip could only see the limitations. He, um, I've, I've read that this was a, a 200 denarii or eight months' wages, as we read uh, in the NIV. Um, uh, you know, he, he could only see that this was not going to be enough. I'm borrowing this, this word or this phrase, the glorious impossible, from the Gaither Vocal Band, who sing a song by that title talking about Jesus himself as the incarnate Son of God born into this world. He's the glorious impossible. And I love this phrase because I just don't usually see impossible things as glorious. I don't know about you. I'm sure you're much more mature in these things than I, but I just say, oh, this impossibility. We've got to get past this. But, but how are we going to get past this? Because I only see the impossible. I only see the roadblock. I only see the detour. I don't see uh, it as a glorious experience. I think um, we've got we've to be careful because we look back and we say, well, Gideon had this glorious impossibility. Wasn't that wonderful? But, um, but then we turn around and we're faced with an impossibility and we say, oh, well, you know, I'm not Gideon or I'm not Moses or I'm not Mary. And and we, we tend to think that maybe the glorious impossibilities were for back then. But God is still in the business of glorifying himself through impossibilities. The greatest impossibility there is. Death itself has been, we read in 1 Corinthians 15, swallowed up in complexity, um, frustration. No, in what? In vic- it doesn't, that didn't sound very victorious. Swallowed up in? No. I think we need to do that one more time. Swallowed up in? Okay. Um, Now you sound like you mean it. That's great. Glorious impossible. Well then, uh, and very closely tied to this factor in the journey of uh, Jesus' followers here in this story is something I'll call if only. Have you ever used that phrase? If only. If only, right? Um, Let me read verses 8 and 9 and then a comment, and then we're going to go back to some prayer. Uh, Another of his disciples, this is verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Finally, you know, can you imagine being Andrew? Finally, you got a chance to speak. Peter's finally quiet long enough for you to have a turn. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves, and that's, we know, it's barley enough to feed everyone, and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So, 
Andrew, similar to Philip, sees this impossibility, and it reminds me of this, this dilemma that we can get into. If only, if only we had a church building. Have you ever thought that? I'll have to confess, once or twice in the last three and a half years, I've thought, well, even before I moved here, if only we had a church building. You know, I was watching the news this morning. I don't know, anybody watched Global News this morning? Did you see uh, the former church where I used to be an associate pastor in, in, in um, Abbotsford? It's on the corner where Marshall and Ware tease, and someone barreled down Ware, didn't stop at the light at Marshall, straight across, straight across the um, parking lot and into the, the main entrance of the sanctuary and totally destroyed the just recently renovated kitchen. I think my old office is okay because it's a little further over. So, so maybe having a building has its challenges as well, right? I mean, that's an extreme, a very extreme form. But it's so easy to get into the attitude, well, if only we had more, what do we usually say? It rhymes with, it starts with M as well. If only we had more money, if only we had more money, if only we had a building, if only we had um, a better looking pastor, whatever, you know, all of these are understandable expectations, right? I got to be honest with you, Uh, the church we went to last week was very special because the uh, the youth and music pastor, he was born... Uh, as one of, uh, just, just a month ahead of our first uh, child, was, uh, he was born in our first uh, ministry there in Euclid, and now he's in the same program as David, uh, in the Immerse program, leading worship at, um, at um, church, gather, meeting place, meeting place, thanks, in uh, Nanaimo. So that was cool to be there, and I did, uh, I did come away saying to Lana, boy, their pastor, he's it's a little more energetic than I am, you know. If only, if only we had, you know, we get into that attitude, and it, it's a pit, right? If only, here's, here's Andrew saying, in a sense, if only we had more food, and who is standing in front of him? The creator of food, the creator of the world, the, the sustainer of the world is standing in front of him, and instead of saying, we've got everything we need because, Jesus, you're here, he's saying, oh, don't have enough food. Don't have enough, if only. Now, I'm not blaming you for saying that because I think I probably hold the record in this room of saying that. I remember in our first church, if only we had somebody else to play the piano because there was a few years while our, our only pianist was having babies that, you know, seemed like every nine months she was out of commission for a while. And, um, oh, if only we had somebody else to play the piano. And then another church is saying, if only we had a piano. And then another church, if only we didn't have pews, if we had chairs. And then another, you know, it just, it's endless. And all the while, the creator of the world is walking beside us, is living within us, is guiding and directing us if we'll just pay attention. So I want to invite you just to gather in small groups for prayer. Think about the glorious impossibilities that are in front of us. And rather than if only, let's just ask God. We're told, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So let's uh, pour out our hearts to God, but let's do it in small groups. Maybe three, four, five people can, can gather. Go ahead, and then I'll call us together in a little bit.
Just call us back together, and sorry, it's an interruption in the prayer. Um, I recognize, hopefully, um, maybe gives you taste for continuing in prayer. Um, you know, we've got, I know it's not quite a corner, it's a wall, but we've got prayer corner over there. After the service, I know it's maybe not quite as quiet with moving things, but if you want to ever want a prayer, just head over there. Just grab your chair, head over there. Uh, it's a good place to pray with someone. Um, we want to keep this attitude of prayer. There's two more uh, things I want to share with you, and then we'll pray once more together. Um, the next point I will call, be amazed. Be amazed, verses 10 through 13. And if we remember the story, we know, you know, we already know the story. We know where it's headed. We know Jesus multiplies. But let me read uh, what happened. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. So there was more. They counted the men. There was more than 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did, did the same with the fish. When they had all uh, had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now, that's probably where my mother got that from. It's biblical. Um, eat up. Don't waste anything. Um, so they gathered them and were filled, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And I've always thought, 
one basket, in-your-face basket for every disciple, right? See what I'm about. See what I do. Be amazed, you know? We, we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't expect not to be amazed by God, right? We should expect Him to do amazing things because that's who He is. Now, those amazing things aren't always spectacular. Uh, Some of our amazement will be even in the hidden places of people's lives, but still it will be amazing. Some people in the church uh, in Nanaimo might just think, oh, that's, that's... that's Peter Bird. He's, he's a guy that grew up in Euclid. But for us, knowing the story of the family and some of these things, this is a very amazing thing that God has done to move him into growth as a Christian and then ministry. And then uh, these baskets of leftovers just highlighted to each disciple. Uh, I don't know if each of them held one, you know, how big the baskets were and so forth, but there was a clear reminder of God's uh, power. Um, we've got to get beyond um, what we said already. This looks impossible, if only, and we have to be ready for the amazing work that, that God will do. Not asking, well, what, what can we do with our resources, but where is God at work? And so that leads us to the next steps, which um, I'll read verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into a mountain by himself. What was happening? The people's intention, Jesus knew this, their intention was to try and institutionalize, organize, to try and contain the miraculous, rather than staying on the mission that Jesus had to do. Uh, The founder of my Bible college, Ellie Maxwell, was known to use this quotation, and maybe you've heard this before, hats off to the past, coats off to the future. That's a really good one. Now, if you n- know him, he was a pretty dynamic guy. He would, there was a, uh, a banister in front of the pulpit, and sometimes he would get so excited, he would jump up on that. And um, I can remember even in his 80s when I heard him speak to our, our men's dormitory evening devotionals. He, he, was, he was quite elderly at that time, uh, or that was maybe in chapel, I forget, but he was quite elderly, and he leaned forward, and he said, don't just sit there like a pimple, you know, get, get, get out and serve the Lord. Now, now I remembered that, you know, for some reason. Um, there's so many possibilities with that one, right? So, um, hats off to the past. God has done amazing things in the past. Let's celebrate that, enjoy that, honor that, but let's take our coats off, and let's roll up our sleeves, and let's continue to be on mission with Him. Um, Most churches, um, when they're vibrant and alive, start to appreciate what God has done. And then they start to institutionalize that. And you know what rhymes with institutionalize? Fossilize, right? You know, you, 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 you take this vibrant work of God and then you try to contain it and try to institutionalize it and say, it's got to look like this and we'll package it up. And then God is moving in a new, uh, fresh way, and, and we don't move with Him in that way because we've tried to contain what He's done and make it look like the past. So this is unfortunately what the people were doing, and Jesus understood this. And what, what was His response? He withdrew again to a mountain by Himself, and that's code in, in the Gospels for Jesus went to commune with his heavenly Father, to be uh, renewed in communion with the Father, be on track with what the Father wanted to do, not say, whoa, I think my popularity's, you know, now's the time to call an election, not that I'm bitter, and and I shouldn't say anything about it, right? (laughs) Now's the time to institutionalize, because everybody's with me, poll numbers are up. No, Jesus said, 
These poor misguided people, they don't see the Father's will. And Jesus was devoted to the Father's will. And so the question is, are we? Yeah, let's be amazed at what he has done and is doing, but let's keep in step with our Heavenly Father. And that means we seek Him in prayer. That means we call out to Him and say, God, what are you doing? What does Cornerstone look like in this? Are we, we're not pre-pandemic, we're not mid-pandemic, but I don't think, we're not post-pandemic. Um, we're fed up with pandemic, I guess, is where the stage we're at. But whatever, in this moment, what is God calling us to be and to look like? We've got some impossibilities, but we're walking with uh, the creator of this world, and he has amazing things for us. Now, I want us to bow together as a, as a large group. So just keep your prayer short and to the point and speak out loud and clear. Um, but let's share this scripture together just before we go to prayer as a large group. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Together, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's just stand together and just declare your thanks or request or praise to God, and then I'll close in a bit. Lord Jesus, as we're before you in prayer, I'm hearing 
car after car after car go by here on Dudney. So many um, lives, families represented that need to know you, uh, perhaps could be part of uh, what you're doing here at Cornerstone or another church to hear you, to meet you, to follow you. We pray for them. And we pray that you would be glorified through all that you're going to do in and through us. We do trust that it will be beyond what we could ask or even imagine. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Thanks. And all God's people said, amen. I was also going to say you can be seated now too. Thanks. Uh, So just to draw this to a conclusion, again, digging deeper uh, has these notes and, and any links that I mentioned today. Um, But again, just to remind us of our purpose as a follower of Jesus. Whatever these things are that we're dealing with, come in prayer. Um, Embrace, accept the glorious impossible. Reject, saying that if only. Instead, get ready to be amazed as you seek God. In His time, He will be at work. And let's not try and contain or... Um, dampen what he's doing, but in fact, let him work and then follow him in his work, not dictating what he should do, but following. And so, just encourage you with that. Um, this, this sermon is a bit of a setup. I really want you to um, uh, engage with a couple of really key things for prayer so that we move forward. You know, in Romans 15, 5, and 6, Paul's prayer is that we would, we would serve God with one mind. And when we're praying together and seeking God together, that starts to take place. We have a unity of, of purpose. So first, opportunity for prayer. Every month, we're going to be having our prayer connect. Last year, we did it on Zoom. Uh, this uh, year, we'll probably do a bit of a hybrid model. So you can come to our house 7 p.m. tonight for Prayer Connect. I apologize in advance for the parking, um, but you're so welcome to be there. But I also put a Zoom link on uh, the Cornerstone Connector if you prefer that connection method, or if there's someone that's not here and you can encourage them to participate by uh, either of those ways. Um, Prayer Connect is uh, kind of, last year we focused on praying for our ministry partners. And in a couple of Sundays, we're going to introduce uh, one of those ministry partners. We're going to be doing that monthly. So that's a, pr- a monthly opportunity. A quarterly opportunity for prayer. This year, we're going to do pr- a day of prayer once a quarter, the first Thursday of every quarter. So that happens to land this coming Thursday, October 7. In a couple of days, I'll have a prayer guide for you on the website. And it's Uh, something you can follow, you can pray throughout the day or pick an hour uh, on that day to pray. And I'm not not sure if we'll do a Zoom connect, but all of that will be laid out for you. So just in a day or two, log into the website and you'll, you'll have that all laid out for you. And then across our community, there's a really cool opportunity coming up. October 18 to 23 is a week of Uh, where we're trying to get the church all across Ridge Meadows uh, to pray and to walk. So you go onto our website, you see Pray and Walk, and also Prayer Night, which wraps it up on the 24th. Um, Pray and Walk, Prayer Night, uh, they fit together. Um, You go on our website and just click on the link, and that'll take you to Pray Ridge Meadows, where you say, I'm going to pray for 224th Street, this block. I'm, you know, my family, we're going to pray for this block. And we're encouraging uh, believers all across the community to do that. So during that week, our whole city will be prayed for. Homes, businesses, schools, prayer walking all across the city. And then Sunday night, October 24th, we're going to gather at Ridge Church for a prayer night to, to kind of pull that together and, and wrap that up. Uh, on Digging Deeper, I've got some more info uh, on the value of prayer, some other resources, so check that out.